All right, so good evening, everyone, and welcome to Calvary Chapel, Canal Valley. My name is John Yapremian, and I'm a servant at this wonderful church. I'm going to try not to cry. I would always look in the back and look at Chris say, why does he get so teared up? And it's just such a beautiful opportunity for me to stand here in front of all of you to share God's word, to speak his truth. No, it's okay. <laughs> now, I don't have any formal theological training but I'm still accepting the opportunity for God to use me to speak his truth to all of you. This evening, we're gonna spend some time learning about the book of Amos. Now, how many of you have read the book of Amos? Show of hands. That's quite a few people. I was hoping no one read the book. <laughs> Kidding, now he's a minor prophet. The minor prophets are described as minor because their books are shorter and the content is more narrowly focused. Now that doesn't mean that the minor prophets are any less important or any less inspired than the major prophets. It's simply the matter of God choosing to reveal more to the major prophets than he did to the minor prophets. Amos was a sheep herder, a sheep breeder. He took care of sycamore trees, fig fruit, and he was used mightily to fulfill God's purpose to prophesy God's judgment to his people of Israel. Now, Amos was not part of ministry. He didn't have any theological training. He was an average man, very relatable to any one of us here. But he was used mightily based off his relationship with the Lord. And we get to see that in this evening's text. Every single one of us here has an opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord. And as you draw closer with the Lord, the Lord will help show you to fulfill his purpose. And as you, as you draw closer to him, he will then guide you to fulfill it. This evening, I wanna spend some time in the book of Amos, specifically chapter three. So what I'd like to do is I wanna first open up with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, how gracious and loving you are. <clears throat> to give such an opportunity to stand in front of your church, in front of your people, and to speak your truth. Father, I pray for every single one of us here to draw closer to you, to have a relationship with you and for you to use the giftings you've blessed all of us with to fulfill your purpose. Father, we pray for Pastor Dave and his family. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This book was the only book. I want to first start off by first giving you some background around Amos chapters 1 and 2 before we break down and look at chapter 3 specifically. This book was the only book that mentions Amos. You don't hear about him in 1st and 2nd Chronicles. You don't hear about him in 1st and 2nd Kings. His name Amos means burden bearer. His home's located in the village of Tekoa. It's about 12 miles south of Jerusalem, 18 miles west of the Dead Sea. In Judea, if you're trying to visualize or picture, it's just a very rugged wilderness area. Amos was known for his strong will. 
he had an intimate relationship with the Lord. Strong convictions, a sense of justice, and a stand for what's right and wrong. Although he was from Judah, his audience was primarily the northern kingdom of Israel. And I love getting to know Amos so personally because I get to see how God is able to give giftings to Amos and how he is able to mightily use him to, share, to prophesy his judgment to his people. And he's only able to mightily be used because he has such a close relationship with God. Remember, he had no formal or prophetic training. He wasn't an anointed prophet, but he was called specifically and individually by God. Now, the book of Amos was written in a time when the people of Israel reached a low point in their devotion to Jehovah, God of Israel. The accepted date, 755 B.C., when the kingdoms had already split. When Amos served as a prophet, the people of God had already been divided into two nations. The northern nation was Israel, and at that time the king was Jeroboam II, son of Joash. The neighboring tribes, and I hope I pronounced these correctly, were Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. If I pronounce them wrong, come see me after. Please correct me. The southern nation was Judah. And at that time, it was under the king Uzziah. For most of the history, the northern kingdom of Israel struggled against Syria, which was the neighbor to the north. But around the year 800 BC, things started changing. The mighty Assyrians, the empire, defeated Syria and neutralized this power that was hindering Israel's expansion and prosperity. So with Syria in check, Israel enjoyed great prosperity during the reign of Jeroboam II. They grew economically, they grew militarily, they grew territorially. During this time of peace and prosperity, you would to think that God's people would draw closer to the Lord but they did the exact opposite. There was no relationship left. They had, turned his back. they had turned their back to the Lord. God's people had become greedy. They stopped following biblical values. The wealthy elite were becoming rich at the expense of others. They were starting to oppress the poor. They were morally, religiously, and politically corrupt. The people of Israel were now at the summit of worldly prosperity, but were filling up the measures of their sins. Now, I want to be a bit more descriptive, a bit more detailed to the sins that God's people were in. So give me just a moment. So here we go. Social injustice. Dishonest judges bribes, resulting in the abuse of the poor. Slave trade, resulting from the abuse of powers, judges, and creditors. Religious immorality, prostitution, 
brought into the religious worship of Israel from the Canaanites. Idolatry, worshiping other gods, just as Judah. They were not grateful of the times God delivered them from all their enemies. This is God's people. This is how lost they were during good times. So God speaks to Amos, tells him to go to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, and deliver his message to people in the neighboring tribes. Now, what's God, what God is doing through Amos is proclaiming a fiery message of condemnation and judgment against Israel and the surrounding nations. Now, I want to share with you briefly the standards to which nations were held accountable at that time. And I hope you're appreciating kind of the background here that's going to kind of set the foundation as we lead into chapter 3. The heathens, the neighboring tribes, were judged for their violations of basic principles of righteousness. The people of God, they were judged by their faithfulness to God's revealed word. Through the prophet of Amos, God tells the people that he's going to judge Israel for its sins. He also tells them that the judgment will come through another nation. And we'll identify who that nation is in just a bit. Now let's talk about the book of Amos. This book is divided into three sections. Section one, series of eight oracles concerning the sin and judgment of the eight nations. And that's covered in chapters one and two. A series of three sermons concerning the sin and judgment of Israel. That's chapters three through six. And then lastly, a series of six visions regarding the sin and judgment of Israel. And that's chapters seven through nine. Now from chapters one and two, Amos proclaims God's judgment upon the heathen nations. He also includes the people of God, both Judah and Israel. The takeaway after chapters one and two was the fact that we're reminded that God is a righteous God, a sovereign God who holds men and nations accountable for their actions. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done <clears throat> in this earthly body. Because we understand our feel for responsibilities to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows that we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Now this evening, we're going to read chapter 3, which is the first of those three sermons. Here's some interesting things about the first sermon, actually the whole series of sermons. Each sermon, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, starts with three words, hear this word. I love that. If you check out NLT, it says, listen to my word or listen to me. And I love it because when I look at it from a fatherly perspective and I speak to my kids and I say, listen to me, hear me, Jaden. I love you, son. Hear me, Caitlin. He knows that when he hears me 
judgment is coming. But check this out. He has an opportunity to get it right. Because if he does, he's back on the same path as I am in that relationship. I love seeing that here as the Lord is doing this with God's people. And we'll check that out in just a bit as we dive into text. So let's go ahead and open up our Bible to the book of Amos. And let's start off by, I'm going to read all 15 verses first, and then we'll come back and we'll dissect verse by verse, okay? So give me just a moment. I know I'm getting a little experienced as the lighting is starting to look terrible up here. <laughs> here we go. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your inequities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare bring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there's calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble on the mountains of Samaria, see great tumult in her midst and the oppressed within her. For they do not know to do right, says the Lord who stores up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you and your palaces shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter houses along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord." I titled the outline, Doom, The Doom of Israel. And when I was titling the outline, I was like, wow, I'm going to be preaching for the very first time. And I'm coming in with the judgment. I was like, this ain't going to, Lord help. So we broke it down into three points here. So point number one, uh, verses one and two, it's going to be the authority of the prophet's message. Uh, we'll see the Lord speak to Israel through Amos. And just we see the reminder that it's a privilege to be chosen as God's people. Uh, number two, point number two, we'll look at witness against guilty Israel. Uh, we'll see several verses stating the obvious. 
God is calling his people to repent before it's too late. So even though we hear the judgment, there's an opportunity for repent, repentance. And then number, point number three, verses nine through 15, punishment of Israel's sin and judgment was due to Israel's sin. And lastly, the destruction is pronounced upon Israel. So starting off with verse number one, you see the three words, hear this word, that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. The Lord's speaking to Israel and he's reminding them of the special relationship. The second, the first part of verse two, you only have I known of the families of the earth. In Genesis 18 verse 19, Abraham intercedes for Sodom. It says, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I promised. He's clearly sharing here, stating the fact that you are the chosen people. You are my people. And with the fact that you're chosen, that's a privilege. Now, the second part of verse 2. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So what he's saying is that he's now going to punish them for their sins and the judgment at the house of, at the house of God. If we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? The standard to which Israel was held accountable were judged, judged by their faithfulness to God's revealed word. They were the chosen one. It was a privilege. And as my brother in Christ, Anthony, had said in our men's study, with privilege comes great responsibility. Unfortunately for God's people, they forgot their responsibility and they miserably failed. See, the judgments are temporal, they're not final. There is a call to repentance and we get to read more about this later in chapter five even though Israel is deserving of the judgment. Now, God has an elect remnant that, we, that will be preserved by grace. And we get to read more about that in the same book later in chapter 9, verse 9. Even during God's judgment, we have hope that God will give us the opportunity for repentance and he will help redirect our path back to his. Now, second point, verses three through six, and we'll look at them verse by verse again, contain seven questions with obvious answers. Take a look at verse three. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? I love that because you have two great examples of that within this chapter. Amos has a strong relationship with the Lord. And you clearly see how God is using him mightily to fulfill God's purpose. The people of Israel don't have that relationship. And obviously they are not going down the right path. 
they're down the path of destruction. So it's great to see that within verse 3 here. Take a look at verse 4. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? The prophet's warning is compared to a lion's roar. It's a sure sign that impending danger is ahead. Because when the Lord speaks through his prophets, it's not an empty warning. Verse 5. Will a, bar barred, will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? Now, there's two principles revealed in these two verses. First, tragedy does not come by chance. It is God who is stretching out his net of judgment. Secondly, just as a fowler, a hunter, does not plan to return home empty-handed, neither is God making threats in vain. He's giving opportunity to his people to repentance before it's too late. Therefore, God will not withdraw the Assyrians. He uses the Assyrians as the instruments of punishment until they have accomplished God's will against Israel. Verse 6, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? The word spoken by Amos is compared to a warning trumpet. God's people are either going to run from it or they're going to run to it. You can't stay stagnant. And unfortunately, this time in Israel, they weren't alarmed. Even when they hear God's judgment through Amos, it didn't faze them. Verses 7 and 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In the Old Testament, the Lord does nothing unless he reveals it by one of his prophets. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, as Jeremiah's complaint. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. It's interesting to see the relation to Lord where you see fire or the lion or a roar of a lion. We see an example of this in Amos chapter 1 verse 2. Like a lion that has roared. God has spoken and Amos must prophesy. Now we look at the punishment of Israel's sins. Verses 9 through 15. Proclaim in the palaces as at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble on the mountains of Samaria. See great tumults, referencing to noise from crowds, in her midst, and the oppressed within her. 
for they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who stores up violence and robbery in their palaces. In Psalms 14.4, it says, Well, those who do evil never learn. They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Such an image. See, the nations are called upon to hear the message of judgment and assemble themselves to see its fulfillment that they might understand that the judgments were due to Israel's sin, which God is now judging. Verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you and your palaces shall be plundered. God says that Israel is to be pillaged by an adversary. You know what's interesting is in the book of Amos, it never mentions Assyria. It never mentions it. But then we all know how that prophecy was fulfilled almost 50 years later. Verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. You know, in Exodus 22, verse 10 through 13, it says that if an animal dies in care of another man, such as a shepherd, the shepherd must make restitution to the owner of the animal unless he could bring remains that proved the animal was attacked by a predator. Only a remnant will survive of those who dwell in luxury like a piece of lamb left over after being ravaged by a lion. Such an image to see where the lion is the Lord coming through, where everything is going to be destroyed back down to dirt. Now verses 13, 14, and 15. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. 2 Kings 23, verse 15. We read on Josiah's religious reforms. It says, The king also tore down the altar at Bethel, the pagan shrine that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine, ground it to dust, and he burned the Asherah pole. Final verse. I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. Destruction will come upon the altars of Bethel, Jeroboam's idolatry. Destruction will happen to all of their luxurious homes. God's judgment would not stop at places of idol worship. It's also going to extend places built and enjoyed through oppression and idolatry. With this first sermon, Destruction is pronounced upon Israel. The next sermon reveals the wickedness of the women and the men.
Now, it looks like I might be finishing a little bit earlier than as I expected. <laughs> but a couple of things that really stood out to me when it comes from an application standpoint when studying God's word. God's amazing. I'm trying not to tear again. Because when I look back in a rearview mirror of who I used to be, that man's gone. And I'm standing here in front of all of you being able to share God's truth, God's word with an application where we all focus on relationship. Because as my relationship starting to become stronger with the Lord, I changed from inside out. I always tried to try to figure out what's my purpose. Now, so focused on other people and what they were doing. And what's amazing, and we see this even with the text as we got to know Amos a bit more this evening, that when you draw to the Lord and you have a relationship with him, his Holy Spirit pours in you and he uses the giftings he's giving you to fulfill his purpose at his time. And as you continue with that relationship, he guides you through it and fulfills it. I can't believe I'm here in front of you, church. Thank you, Lord. Now, the second application, judgment. I invite all the men to men's group real quick. I invite you to join, if you haven't been there yet, every other Tuesday. And we've been studying the book of Amos. And when we talk about judgment, it's such a heavy topic. Because as you read God's word, it's very detailed and vivid of what judgment's going to be, the day of the Lord. If you know the Lord and have a relationship with him, then it's the happiest day possible. But if you don't, it's a day you don't want to see. Through the judgment, there's still hope. The Lord calls for repentance. We saw a great example taking place in our text this evening. And what I pray for all of us as we're going to close with prayer is that each and every one of us here draw closer to the Lord to find, our, to find the Lord's purpose and to be able to fulfill it and to know that when we have a relationship with the Lord, that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And he is the shelter that we want to be in when that day comes. And he is the only shelter that's going to protect us from judgment. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Amos, Father. Thank you for this book of Amos. Dear Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to pour into every single one of our church family members here, that they may continue to have a closer relationship to you, Father, to pray, to read your word, to live your word, to share your word, to be surrounded by just men and women that love you, Father, to be able to understand the importance of your word, that, Lord, that you're that we are able to be mightily used like Amos here to fulfill your purpose. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.